0: I think people have this romantic notion of, oh, you're fighting cancer. I'm like, no, I'm sitting watching TV. How dare you? How dare you ruin such a pleasant activity? My name is Sharya Rana, and I live in Qatar.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to our episode for Qatar in Quotes. My name is Natasha, and I'll be your host today. Joining me is Shariya Rana, a medical student from Well Cornell in Qatar. Today, he's tuning in all the way from New York. So Shadiar, what are you doing in New York right now?
0: So right now I'm doing my sub-internship in pediatric intensive care at New York Presbyterian. We start at 6.30 in the morning and finish at 6.30 in the evening just to complete the whole resident lifestyle. A is basically the first year you have as a doctor or as a medical uh, degree graduate.
1: But before New York and before Cornell, things took a very different turn for Shariar all the way back during his high school.
0: So yeah, this is actually almost comical because I just finished my junior year of school and literally the Friday that we had off as soon as classes ended, I had a pain in my chest and this is at like 7 o'clock in the morning and I told my dad about it. And he's like, son, have you been like working out? Like, I mean, there's no other reason why you have chest pain. And it's been three weeks and I'm fat. So clearly, I haven't been going to the gym, dad. Uh, later that day, like the pain got worse. And so after jumaa we just kind of like, um, I just told my dad, I have to go. Like, he's like, no, you should get dressed. You're going to the hospital. After all, you have to look presentable because you're you have to look presentable as a sick patient, apparently. He go straight to the hospital and he's like racing there. Apparently, he just got the sense that it was kind of urgent. And so as soon as I got there, um, they did a couple of tests, but they asked if like there was any sort of um, exercise beforehand that might have caused it. I said no, and so they did a CT scan. And so they found something odd. They didn't know what it was. I was too busy enjoying my food because they they make pretty good food at uh, al while engorging myself, my dad's like, hey, we have to go to this other hospital, is that okay? I'm like, yeah, just give me a second, I have to finish this, um, what was it, it was a watermelon. Then we went to uh, Hamad, we sat there, and they're thinking, well, it could be thyroid something, hyperplasia, or, you know, some other kind of cancer, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And um, so they booked me for a biopsy. while that was happening, I had some pain in my lower back. And at some point I couldn't sleep because it was so bad. I had to like have pillows in front of me and I just kind of lean on it. And later they realized, oh wait, ha we we forgot. You have your entire lung collapsed on your left side. And I mean, okay, so it's not like my lung just disappeared. It's actually that, you know, like the area around the lung got filled with fluid and my lung kind of just compressed into a ball. And so they kind of had to do something called a, a subplural uh, a tap and just take that fluid out. And they had to do it like three times. And this is all while they haven't done the biopsy yet. So they still don't know what's happening. And yeah, that was a, that was a pretty bad period. I read a book though because I was awake that entire time. I was really bored. So like if you're ever, you know, considering getting pleural fusion, make sure you have a copy of The Historian. It's an excellent book. Later, um, we I finally got the biopsy. It took a couple of weeks before I got the results in. By this point, I kind of became friends with a couple of uh, interns. And they just told me, like, while we were having a conversation, oh, wait, by the way, you have this kind of leukemia. I'm like, whoa, okay, cool. And they're gonna have to do chemotherapy. I'm like, that's neat. Yeah, because I'm like, yeah, clearly I'm suffering from something. It better be cancer. <laughs> like... <laughs> um, and they told me that the survival rates are like really high, they're like 97%. And I thought, well, okay, if I, if I get to survive this, I get to milk it for sympathy forever. So um, here I am. <laughs> the first few bits of chemotherapy, they're, they hit you hard. You're basically sleeping for two days because it's that exhausting. And as you wake up, you're drowsy, you're tired, and you can't move around a lot because you have this drip machine, this IV infusion connected to you at all times. So you're just sitting in the bed for most of the day. And for a large part of that, no one's really around, apart from nurses that come in and out. And so you also feel really lonely. It's very, very like boring. The horror of the situation that occurred to me when people were telling me I had cancer, it was, when I when I realized that I couldn't be with my friends for like a year. And so um, I'd be like, can I, can I go to school? Can I like talk to them? And they said, no, of course not. You're going to be very sick for a while, at least seven months. And I was very sad by that point. Like I, I was missing out on all the things that they're going to be doing and having seen them graduate before I do, right? Like we thought, you know, we've been together since like high school. We've already had this Bond and I can't see them for that while. It was very upsetting to me. My friends did come every now and then, but you know it wasn't frequent enough to mean much. The first round of chemo back to that was like, it lasted perhaps a week. And after that, there's also a period of time where you're neutropenic, which means that you can get infected very quickly or very easily. And so I couldn't be I could be at home, but I have to be very careful even there. I have to be very careful about what I eat. I was also bald by this point. Um, and so people kind of knew I was going through chemotherapy, but uh, no one outside of my family told that anyone that I had cancer. They, they, they were worried about the evil eye and all that. Like for those in Muslim communities that would be pretty familiar with that. And so for a good two months, like no one really knew. But once people found out, I was like, well, that's great. Like. Um, at least they know I'm not dead, which th- some of them actually legitimately thought it was. Because um, all they heard was, you're at the hospital, we haven't heard back, we're very worried. And others were like, oh, okay, you're going to get through this. Uh, it's going to be fine. And some of them gave me hugs, which I thought was weird. I'm like, you know, I'm getting through this. And they're like, just take the hug, you idiot.
1: How did your family deal with the situation?
0: My father very suddenly became incredibly religious. He started wearing a beard. Um, and he'd be sleeping at my, in my ward instead of being at home. And so, I got to be a bit closer to him during that time. My siblings all had school, obviously. My, my brother was unfazed. He's like, oh, wait, 97% survival rate? It's fine. He'll do fine. He was a year and a half younger than me. So, he was like uh, 16 at the time. And my sister's didn't know I had cancer per se, but they did think it was weird that I was bald all of a sudden. And so, my youngest sister who was, I think, what, four at the time, um, she was puzzled. But yeah, my family seemed pretty strong throughout, but um, my grandmother, when she was visiting me, she was like, wait, which hospital is that? And she's reading everything out in Arabic and she knew some Arabic because she speaks Urdu. And then she realized, oh, that means cancer. Oh, wow, what's happening? And she was very concerned. And it was a big bummer during my birthday that she realized I had cancer. (laughs) But yeah, it was, uh, the rest of my family were troubled, but supportive, I suppose, is probably the way I'd I'd sum up that experience.
1: So how did your friends react to that?
0: After that, you're allowed to be home. You're allowed to go visit school. And so I wouldn't have seen my friends for like four months by this point. So you have this, uh, something called a central line. So that's to make sure that whatever agents that they're using don't destroy your entire like vasculature. It's just going straight to your heart and it's just to right out there. I also had to like kind of have a package around it. So when I was meeting my friends and they're hugging me, they're like, dude, you're wearing a bra? I, I just have to explain to them, no, I have a tube sticking out of my chest, thank you. In any case, uh, we we kind of hung out, but I could not really do much with them because Soon after that, I had my other round of chemo. And so the second one went down pretty similarly. Um, But I also made good friends with uh, an intern from Bahrain. She's like in her late 20s. And she became good friends with my parents and everyone. And so we just kind of like hung out because she was going to do, she was going to spend her time in Doho one way or the other. And um, she thought that, you know, because I was going through something, she might be a good social support. And we just kind of talked for hours and hours and she'd come and visit. She'd cook meals for me every now and then. And yeah, it was probably one of the better parts of the entire ordeal, I would say.
1: You spent a year in the hospital. What was it like?
0: I think people have this romantic notion of, oh, you're fighting cancer. I'm like, no, I'm sitting watching TV. How dare you? How dare you ruin such a pleasant activity? Most days were dull. Uh, Occasionally, there's... Something exciting, by which exciting, I mean absolutely painful. So I had several episodes of sepsis, uh, which means that there's like uh, bacteria in your blood and they're trying really hard to kill you. So I had two episodes of that. I was sweating profusely and just in general, not having fun. And uh, during one of the, the episodes of sepsis, my bone got infected. My left lower leg. That was quite, I mean, bone pain. If anyone breaks a bone in their body, just give them a hug because bone pain sucks. I had to get that surgically uh, cleaned out. Probably the most painful thing I've experienced, actually. And after that, I had radiotherapy, which I could go home with. So I, I, I was able to go back home, I think, February of that year while still receiving treatment. Given that like the chemotherapy does knock you out, you get really sleepy. I would sleep a lot. Yeah, chemo brain is not fun. Basically, when when you're on chemo, you have this very dense fog around your thoughts and it makes it very difficult to think and stay awake. I also had uh, radiotherapy in my chest, which has the added complication of irritating my esophagus, which is your food tube. I'm sure all the cool kids are calling it food tubes, but basically it means that whenever I eat, I have uh, a burning sensation in my chest which is great because like, I, I wasn't able to eat. Basically I had to have this, um, this food mixture and that burnt like rocks when I, when I ate it, as did most things, so it's not like the food itself was terrible. And yeah, but, but then I was already doing school and stuff, so I had plenty of distractions by that point.
1: How did you feel after you got cured?
0: Overall, um, it's, it's more so that I, I felt certain level of empathy for those who were also in the hospital with me because my cancer overall had a very good prognosis. It had like above 90% of people with uh, my kind of cancer survive. So uh, I wouldn't describe my situation as dire at any point. I think that's unfair to many people who have much worse cancers than I have. So I, I don't want to give the impression that most cancers end up this way. My story is somehow representative of most of those who are diagnosed with a cancer.
1: Did your experience change you as a person?
0: Uh, in some ways, no, because I've always been a crass, um, dark humor, awkward human being, but um, after cancer, I was still that, so if not more so. Um, in some ways, yeah, in terms of perspective, prior to receiving chemotherapy, I didn't really want to do medicine, or i i mean it would be a lot of you know my parents saying you know what medicine is very nice you you would do an excellent i'm like no (laughs) i want to be a marine biologist and like swim in the ocean with orcas and dolphins um that's how i want to spend my time after um receiving therapy i thought it would at least be poetic if i decide to do medicine and try to basically follow the same steps as the people who are treating me and kind of do what they're doing because I thought they did an amazing job. I just wanted to offer other people that same opportunity as well. Uh, So that that was really the compelling reason why I I decided to do medicine in the end.
1: So what do you plan to pursue in the future?
0: So big picture, um, I'm thinking of specializing and this is like a five, six year plan um, because of how medicine works but uh, pediatric oncology or bone marrow transplant those are two interests of mine currently not to sound morbid but I actually like having very sick patients my philosophy and my approach to medicine is I need to be where I feel I'm needed not to say that I'm capable of meeting all the responsibilities that these patients require but I do feel that like An effort in someone's darkest moments would go a lot further, so yeah, I'm definitely attracted by much more complex and much more uh, perhaps dangerous diseases. Also, I I do find a great deal of joy in talking to families that um, are concerned and just offering them a bit of comfort. Basically, it's a lot of nodding your head, and saying "Yeah, that really sucks," and just going with it. I, I deal that with my family every now and then as well, so I definitely can relate to their struggles, and I think that's quite important in general in the medical field, just having that level of empathy. So, for anyone listening and thinking, you know what, med students are miserable, or if you're an auntie listening to this in the, in the car and you're thinking, nod, nod, yes, yes, I want my son to be equally as miserable, and I want my daughter to be equally as miserable, just be warned, it is not easy. Uh, I would much prefer the reality where kids were given that choice, but at the same time, like, I mean, it is a wonderful field for, so for anyone listening to this and thinking to themselves, well, I'm definitely not doing that, I'm not capable. I'm actually quite stupid, you might not have noticed, but um, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily the most intelligent person in my class. Um, like, ever in my life. And that's not to say that I'm markedly stupid. I'm just averagely stupid, as most people are. Um, what I'm basically saying is that as long as you're motivated to learn and you're curious, you can still have sufficient motivation to kind of get through med school. Um so don't let that define your decision. If you think you're capable and you're definitely interested, then give it a shot.
1: Shadiyar. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your heartwarming story. To our audience members, please tune in for more episodes where we share stories of people all around Qatar. Thank you.